live from sunny Ohio, Windsor Campus, this is the Blood and Black Rum Podcast with Scream 2. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplantation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good, actually. Um, we're back a little late. Unfortunately, uh, there were some issues with uh, recording our last episode and uh, we didn't have a chance to do it, and mostly because I had to bail. So, my bad. So, we're getting this out a little bit late, but uh, you know what? Happens in podcasting. We do these things live. We don't do them in advance, and it is what it is. So, But uh, we're, we're picking back up in our Scream. I guess it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a marathon. We won't call it a Scream month because we don't really do things month in, in one month anymore because we record our sessions every two weeks now. So we're we're in the Scream Marathon. We're we're too deep this time, so we're into Scream Two territory now. Scream Two, um, for me, is probably one of the most watched of the Scream sequels. Um, I would say I've probably seen Scream Two more than the original Scream, and that's partly because of ease of access. I think I probably had a lot more access to this film. When it was on TV and there was multiple times and chances for me to see it. And I think it was one of those movies where it was easier to get to the rights to for a TV. <laughs> so they would show it a lot on like USA and yeah, AMC they, and stuff like that. Yeah, anything, the one for them to do, that would be Scream 3. Um, This was like prior to Scream 3. Oh, so you were in like that limbo period of like... The three year gap. Yeah, scream, between Scream 2 and Scream 3, I think it got some airtime on TV and... I just it just happened to be the one that I caught most often. Yeah, I, it's the one I've seen the least. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you got kind of two different uh, two different uh, opinions coming at this. Uh, well, I will say that I do remember Scream Two pretty well. Um, watching it again though is kind of interesting because I don't remember it being so goofy as you know we kind of mentioned while we were watching the movie. I think um, when Wes Craven was. Getting ready to make this film, Kevin Williamson said, "All right, we were a little tongue in cheek on the last one, but this time we're going full blown Camp Town races." Yeah, not only do they go Camp Town races, they also really lean into that whole um, meta commentary sort of thing. Because not only now do we have just the high school students, we have teens who are going to Windsor College in Ohio for film studies and, and drama, and you're really they're really leaning into this, so. Not only are you getting, like, some of the... And it's more on the nose, too. Yeah, you're not getting just, like, refer- references or, or footage of Halloween on TV now. You're getting, like, full-blown horror, deep-cut references for people who watching this film in 1997 when films are harder to come by you don't have a streaming especially, service. Especially your low-rent... Um, like, yeah, cult, uh, cult film-type things. You know, Grindhouse horror film. Sure, yeah. You know. I think at this point, this these are, like, deep-cut movies. These are things that people are watching, you know, Scream 2, maybe they're more mainstream horror viewers. They're people who see movies at, horror movies at the theater, and that's about it. Or rent the cool ones that people have been talking about. Uh, they're not going to know the uh, House on Sorority Row very well. <laughs> or, you know... Uh, House 2, The Second Story. Those are kind of those films that 
Um, while horror fans and cult film fans probably know pretty well, um, I think in 1997, those were even stretching it. Do you think, um, with that, like, line, do you think Kevin Williamson wrote that? Do you think, like, Wes is, like, he wrote, like, something, like, more, like, generic, and Wes is like, no, no. Dude, no, put that in there. You know, I think those are probably Williamson, um, additions. I think that he probably had some ideas for, you know, where he wanted to go. We do see him referencing various films throughout. And some of those, like in the first screen were more Wes Craven references. Like you have the whole Freddy Krueger janitor scene and, and scream and you have Halloween playing at this point in scream two though, we have a lot of these references that are sort of, you know, they, they kind of get deeper into horror territory. And I guess maybe that makes sense because we're talking sequels this time. We're talking um, like, the, the whole first part of this uh, scene where Joshua Jackson gets like one minute of screen time um, is all about film sequels in like the laid, most laid back college class I've ever seen, as you mentioned before. And also the most cliched garbage you've ever seen. There's like a nice very circle area where Fuck, everybody fucking, you know, liberal parent, you know, snowflake parent <laughs> where football players just get to like sprawl out on their desks. Just like, oh yeah, I'm just talking sequels today. And you know, they're all intimate. They're, you know, it's sitting in a circle of desk and the professor's on sitting on his desk, but it's also very close, very intimate. And they're all just, they're not learning. They're not, what, what are they talking? They're not, like teaching, yeah, no. or learning a subject, just having a discussion. It's That's right. The, 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 the best way to this, learn. Is this to is the just... Ohio film uh, critics Socrates here. Just like <laughs> go on. I did go love, on. I do yeah. love that scene because that's like that's like everybody who who's like watching '90s films and stuff that we're thinking about college that way. They're like, that's what college has got to be like, right? I'm gonna go to college. Like people are just sitting around, they're like eating their lunch and they're at their desk, or you know. It's a massive, massive, like, rich person paradise, fountains in the square, yeah. you know. Uh, and that's basically, like, this Scream so, 2 is... So, so Scream 3 should have had them, like, these college students realizing the crippling debt they're in because, <laughs> because they took out $50,000 a year in student loans just to go to this private school in Ohio. For, like, you know, and Sydney's the dumbest one of them all. Like, she lived out in Cal... Her and Randy both lived out in California... And, like, can't go to USC for film school. Very noted, you know, well-noted film school. And it's, in you know, in-state. Yeah. And you get the state, you know, cut back. At that now, time, though, they didn't have parents who could gotta, buy their way in. Got it. I got to go to, you know, to, out to Ohio. Ohio to yeah. re- really, you know. you know. Yeah, you know where most aspiring actresses go? Ohio. <laughs> you know, they go to Sandusky. Or <laughs> you know... The rust, the rust Belt, <laughs> perfect places to really. The break Rust in. Belt has you know really, yeah. really good uh, improv, you know. And the funny thing is, this film was actually filmed mm. in California and Georgia, like the two main film destinations. Because obviously, Georgia now great tax breaks, can't get an abortion, might be manslaughter, <laughs> but tax breaks. Uh, so, you know, they, it's funny that they filmed it in the two locations that you would think like, okay, that's where people go for film. And then Sydney ends up going to Ohio. So, but the other thing is just like, had, had, she's had to get away from Woodsboro. I mean, yeah, she wanted to get away as much as possible. So she's like, let's go to Ohio. Not even New York city. You go to New York city. It's not a good film, <laughs> film area, but nope. Ghostface takes Manhattan. <laughs> uh, one thing that I find funny too, is that Randy just happens to fucking follow Sydney. 
to Ohio to go to this film school, or no, it's not a film school, but it's like liberal mm-hmm. arts, film, art, theater school. And why? I mean, we see Just that Randy has the unrequited love. Well, he even says it. Yeah, yeah he yeah. says he's, like, he's the love slave of Sydney, I guess. If I were Randy, I'd be like getting the fuck away from Sydney. Like she's just a magnet for bad yeah, things happening, especially after the first film, getting stabbed. You know, surviving all that. Yeah, you're like, you think he'd be like, "Fuck this, I'm going you to like, what? I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to Texas. Yeah, you know? <laughs> become a you know, freaking rancher. Well, or you know something. what though? What happens then is the sandworms get you. <laughs> As, as the old grandma, yeah, as Jamie Kennedy found, found out later on. <laughs> no, the uh, uh, Nevada. Yeah, yeah, same same per- thing. Any, any just, desert he, area, he just moves to perfection, you yeah. know. Um, but, right on time too, because this, it's new tremors coming out. Yeah, but I do find it funny. I just want to go back to that first scene within the film discussion. First of all. I've been in film classes before, and that is kind of a nice thing, like, about just having a discussion. It becomes, like, podcast light. You know, they should just record all of these film discussion studies things. Uh, that's not really film theory, talking about sequels. Not really film theory so much, I wouldn't think. That's more like talking about diegetic sound in the film, or <laughs> talking about, um, like, how the point of view was shot. You know, the use of Dutch angles. Yeah, or, or, or over yeah. the shoulder yeah. for dialogue, and when they break it. What, what does that mean when they break the over-the-shoulder point of view? But um, anyway, I did like that Joshua Jackson shows up here as Josh Jackson, for one thing. And I said he has only, like, one minute of screen time. He's not, <laughs> and, like, and even so, like, they reuse some of the characters in this film quite a bit, as as uh, my wife pointed out. Just, like, they seem to be, like, only people on campus. Like, there's only ten people on campus. And well, as we showing see, up. see early, later on, broad daylight, there's no one, you know, yeah, the quad. No, no one's around. This giant quad, there's, like, just five people people like prancing about so like they you they reuse Portia de Rossi and uh Heather Gayhart a lot but Josh Jackson he doesn't get any screen time and that's sort of frustrating both of them will then show up in Urban Legend not much later um one year later but uh in this film not so much um but as I was saying when we were starting this film Scream 2 is a lot like the Marvel films of the nine, like late 90s because it has a lot of people in it. Like so many people were attracted to the original Scream that they were able to get a lot of like the heartthrob stars of the late 90s for this film. Jerry O'Connell shows up yeah. with the fucking baby face, completely shaved. Hey, you know what's funny? He still looks like he's like 35. No, I know. Playing, and, playing like an 18-year-old. Yeah, you know, I know. He does. But at the same time, he looks like 12 and 35 in this film. Because he has that sort of like baby yeah. face smile, and you're like, "There's no way this guy's the killer." He like he, 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 no matter how hard they try, kind of push in that direction. I know, even because like even when he's up on the the cross at the end of yeah. the at the end of the movie, and he's they're saying, "Who do you love? You love your your brothers." And he's like, "I love Sydney," <laughs> in the most ridiculous uh, over the top. over the top. Uh, party uh hazing hazing thing that's going on there they make him into some sort of jesus christ beer star uh getting a waste of well the like son that he's like uh, crucified onto that like prop background prop yeah that's very like early 90s music video-esque like you know like (laughs) yeah because like you know like 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 nirvana and uh you know what you mean and uh alice in chains video like all that like they had like the like really crooked like you know warped 
imagery like that. I, I you know, know what you mean. Yeah. Even, even made its way into like even, a, Tom, a Tom Petty music even video. Even like the lighting of it too. Yeah, it's with, very... With like yeah. the orangey-ish lighting that's on him. Yeah, that's all very music video-esque. You know. Yeah. Looks like it's ripped straight out of 1993, 94, you know. Yep. That is true. Um, Who else we got? We've got... Uh, we got Heather Locklear shows up real quick as the Drew Barrymore stand-in and stab. Or I'm sorry, yeah, Heather Graham as the Drew Barrymore stand-in and stab. That uh, blonde bowl cut hair. Oof, still, yeah. <laughs> still bad. Oof. Uh, we got Lori Metcalf right out of Roseanne at this point. Um, into the latter stages of Roseanne, I yeah, think. I think it was getting probably ready. like the 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 death knells of which, Roseanne. Uh, which she was like, I think at the time, like winning like every like TV award under the sun for like best supporting actress, you know, know. for yeah being on uh, Roseanne. But she's always great. Uh, you know? She's a she's always fun and yeah. and everything that I see her in. Even in Roseanne, she was like the fun aunt. Like the, even yeah. though she was meant to be like annoying, she was always the very liberal Re- I say I say really cuz I find her to be like incredibly tolerable compared to fucking Roseanne. No, no, but in the show itself she was meant to be like annoying aunt sister lady that Maybe comes that's over. why they put it in Ohio. Why? Because Roseanne's in like Illinois so they're yeah. like bridging the Rust Belt it's gap, true. you know. Yeah. Yeah, but Lor- so Lori Metcalf is here. She's Sarah still- Michelle Geller. You yeah. know, we complained in the first film, like, God, all they're missing is Sarah Michelle Gellar, and they'd have themselves a 90s all-star team. You know, you know what? They did. They got her. They got her this yep. time. You they know. got her for this one. And I think she's criminally underused in this, because she is... You know, I think she, that's the point, though. It's She's supposed to be like yeah, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she is. I, but at the same time, um, I know what you did last summer. Come before this, I think? When, when no, this after. 98. 97... Oh, so I think, 90, I, think, I think I know what you did last summer was either 98 or... <clears throat> Let's see. We can see right now. Uh, it was 97, so oh, it was so in the same year. So <clears throat> um, one thing that I found interesting was that, you know, in this film, she does make a pretty good heroine type thing because, again, she does have that sort of Buffy characteristic that you're... you're pulling for in this movie and she's, she's wearing not, the very skin tight pants that she's not like bitchy or cunty she's, she's yeah. just very she down. stays home from the party yeah. you're she, like no way she's gonna die she's not partaking in drugs alcohol or sex she's staying home eating a pizza and watching nosferatu <laughs> like anybody like any normal person at college that's what i did i did i literally did that one time for halloween i stayed home and watched nosferatu for halloween that was me being a that's probably pro- film buff at I would say that probably um, ranks low on your uh, list of best Halloween experience. That's true, it does. But though a good, fi- a very good film, absolutely. It's yeah. a really good film. But, 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 I don't but, understand but at the same time, it's not some silent films in general or something. I just don't ever really sit down. Tough to, to get into. Sure. Yeah, you know. I think it'd be fun to see them with a live orchestra. Oh, we've yeah. done Nosferatu a couple times with, with a live like, orchestra. Yeah, no, that, that would be a, a fun time to do. Um, but in this case, I think it's funny in, in Scream 2 when uh, we see Sarah Michelle Gellar at home and she's watching Nosferatu. She's got it on TV. Like, what TV station is showing Nosferatu on a random fall night? I, I know. Any? No. No? Turner Classic Movies presents. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. <laughs> here to... Sh- here to- Tonight, our classic film of the night is the German expressionistic horror film, Nosferatu. It's true. They could have. They could have. 
Um, it's good to see that on TV, though. Uh, so, again, another – I mean, that's not a hu- super deep cut. But, again, I don't know. Some people might recognize Max Shrek at, on yeah. TV as Nosferatu. So, somewhat deep cut. It's, it, it replaces mm. Halloween in this scenario, actually. Instead of how, seeing Halloween, well, then it see, would ju- then it was just be you know over yeah. overdone. You yeah. gotta that's true. And this Randy says sequel. You gotta go outside the box a little bit. You can't have the same thing happen again. You can't have the boyfriend be the killer. You can't have um, you can't have it repeat the same things that it does in the original. So you gotta have somebody step outside the box, and that that makes sense. And uh, also, they're shittier. <laughs> yeah, they tend to be shittier. That's right. <laughs> uh, Jada Pinkett's. Well, Jada Pinkett. Say, sorry, yep, Jada Pinkett is here. Uh, she opens things off with the um, iconic opening of this film, which takes place at the Stab movie. Which I didn't know this, but doing my research for this movie, Stab apparently has a lot of of fans. There's an entire Stab website. They have the Stab font available. You can get the Stab font. I would like to see somebody. Um sift through like all the release clips and kind of like piece it together kind of like a little movie because i remember like it's like uh in the simpsons like i like see like a season three season four season five something like that Mm -hmm. they have commercials and like the background constantly like of a mcbain movie and if somebody put that together and no and you act they actually did it so it all does fit together so they put it together and it's like a 30 second you know yeah Die Hard, um, Lethal Weapon esque thing of like hmm. McBain. It's an action, you know. So that would be cool, like if like throughout the films they, as they're going, like there was enough clips to kind of string and make its own. That would film. be cool. I mean, in this film, you do see pretty much most of the opening of Scream redone into Stab. Um, my favorite thing about Stab, though, is the the uh, logo or the uh, uh, what you call it there, the tagline. This is gonna hurt. It's just that's, that's it. That's it. That's the tagline. This is gonna hurt. Uh, but the one thing about Stab too that they do make fairly well done is that it's like a super corny version of a horror film. They they intentionally are leaning into that for Stab, especially now. I think I think you know as we talked about when we reviewed Scream, though it has its meta moments compared to today with it everything being hyper meta and like online humor and just like pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. The original Scream, as we both agreed, not that meta, and it has its moments, but, like, it's not anything really, like, that would stand out today. Like, if you were to show something, like, a Scream to a 15-year-old today, mm-hmm. who's never seen it before, they'd probably be like, oh, it's kind of got a little bit, but it's not that meta. Yeah. Scream 2 is able to be kind of lean a lot more into being meta because of the whole fact that it's got this subplot in the background going on of there being a movie now made about the Woodsboro murders called Stab. Mm-hmm. You know, and we also get to see clips, the early, you know, the uh, early showing that they have for the film. Yep. Um, and, but fuck I, Ohio. Now I just thought about it. That fuck, the early showing for that film was in but fuck Ohio. Yeah, it's shown at, like, this Egyptian movie theater type thing that they've got going on. Um, yeah, w- that Jada Pinkett attends uh, with her boyfriend, Phil. And I don't think in the 90s, was anybody in the 90s still doing, like, very 1950s exploitation-esque, like, gimmicks like that of, like, giving out, Yeah, like, giving out costumes, costumes and, and, like, having fucking, you know, 
like guy running like a prop thing of like uh, Ghostface like flying through the sky and yeah no that and in the film like in the like the film kind of like joking it's film in like stabo vision honestly the whole arm swinging back and forth outside looks like so poorly put together that that's like a lawsuit waiting to happen just falling on somebody and like killing them underneath that swinging arm outside yeah but this is like a william castle-esque thing that they're yeah that's what i was saying like, like when we talked about like the uh, when we did house on haunted hill you yeah know, like yeah like I get what Wes Craven's referencing, but like in ni- like 1997, nobody's fucking doing it. Well, not know? only that, but uh, just thinking about the logistics of trying to, especially in like a theater like this in Ohio, like in some random place in Ohio showing this as a premiere, to send in like hundreds of costumes of the Ghostface Killer. Think about the, how much that would cost them to just show that film one time <laughs> for a premiere in Ohio. But think of the publicity. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't remember much about the film because I was wearing my Ghostface costume, <laughs> yeah, stand, was... standing up and just going ah, and then, you know, with my knife in the air. Which that's like the worst part about this film—that whole opening sequence in the theater. You're just sitting if there. I were if I was sitting there watching that movie with all those ass, I would punch somebody in the face. Should... I would literally lose my shit just because like your ass down, watch the. I movie. know. I'm just sitting there thinking about how unpleasant that must be. Just no sit. wonder why Jada Pinkett's like, this is bullshit. You know, white, fucking white people, you know? She, you know <laughs> yes, like, for real, yeah. She's like one of the only black people in the the audience in there. There's another, she gets one sh- other one. She gets shit going like, ooh, Star 69, his ass, you know? But, you know, it's like, oh, she's being a loud, obnoxious black lady. But all these fucking white guys just like standing up, like, you know, going, ah, the, you know, the entire time without paying attention. Perfectly fine. I understand with that whole, um... That whole uh, conversation they had in the beginning about, you know, horror movies not being for black people because they get the short end of the stick and it's not culturally appropriate, right? So, like, that whole sequence there is, like, kind of like, yeah. It's a good... good. Total fish out of water, you know, sequence. Yeah. Yeah, You're right, though. I would never want to be in an audience like that. It's terrible. I'll take my two people in the theater to that. She should have saw that Sandra Bullock film. Ugh, don't get me started on seeing Sandra Bullock. Makes me annoyed. But yeah, Jada Pinkett... Well, I was it around the same time as like Miss Congeniality? Maybe they're trying to church something it up like for... Something like that. It was know. like 19... Yeah, 1997. Something like that. I could see it being... Fresh off of Speed 2. I could see it being... I could see it being like Practical Magic or uh, Miss Congeniality, something like that. But uh, yeah, Jada Pinkett in this one, um, going with a full crew cut. No, not even crew cut. Yeah, it's shorter. Caesar. Yeah. Got the, like, George Clooney Caesar. Like, it's, as I said, like, 1997, 98, you know, the year where not just men have the Caesar, but women too. They all just sit in there going like, ha, 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 you know, thumb up and then going down. I always liked that opening sequence with Jada Pinkett because I thought it was interesting as sort of a commentary about, like, how... Because everybody was so wild in that film, no one could tell the difference between, like, a murderer and just being, like, fake. So it's, again, that idea about movies and blaming the movies for something that you, you know, violence. Blaming the movies for violence. uh, That comes up later on in the film. And also, like, people just being, like, indifferent to it, like, you know, to it in general. And uh, I think that, I always thought that was a pretty interesting opening. Now, when watching it, it's absolutely way too theatrical. It is, like... It's... Campy and corny is it's, all hell. Not only that, the worst part about it is when I said, like, when I said earlier, when she like said Star sixty nine. That is really dated. That's a <laughs> super dated reference there. You know, can't do that anymore. You know, but 
let's call her ID. We don't know. Oh, just start 69 and I'll call him back. I just, I did, I thought that was, like, super theatrical, especially because, like, not only do you have just her getting stabbed in the seat, then he chases her through the uh, aisle, and he stabs her four more times, and then she gets up on the stage, and, and does her little death wail. It's super theatrical, and I don't know. I, I wish that... Music's it, totally can Oh, yeah, because then you got the choral arrangement of... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I did. I thought that was a little bit cheesy. Now, um, I lo- I still like Omar Epps's death though when he goes to the bathroom. Although I, I don't because like what like the killer's got like retard strength. Like you know, sure. Putting his, the guy's putting his ear up against like the bathroom stall, yeah. and he rams the knife not just through the stall but enough also too to punch through the guy's head. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a little a, much. I, I know. But uh, I still they like should have just put a glory hole there. <laughs> the other thing, but the other thing that, that gets me about that opening uh, with stabbing through the through the um, stall is that it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think about him being in the bathroom, just waiting in the stall for like a guy that's named Phil Stevens to come in because <laughs> of the Steven connection. So he's just waiting in the stall, and then he starts to mutter something about mommy. I, you know, I, and I was that. I guess that's like a reference to, I don't know, Friday Thirteenth. I don't know, Psycho. I I was thinking kind of like um, Black Christmas. You know, the like kind of grunt. Could be. I mean, you know, like like the like phone. I think it's lost a little bit though because it doesn't really make sense for the Ghostface Killer to be doing that well, in the least. Well, so you can't even really hear it too unless yeah, you have the subtitles yeah, it's on. The subtitles it's really itself. it's really muted. But I mean, but the one thing that I mean, it just doesn't makes sense in the scheme of the rest of the film because it's not something that Ghostface does ever again. Like, he never is, like, muttering to himself. But that's fine because this film is, again, it's campy and things aren't nearly as logically strung together as they are, you know. It's true. In the first one. It's true. You know, as like we like commented on, like, with the first film, it's a lot more grounded in reality, you know, and how we both kind of enjoyed, like, seeing Ghostface be, like, a inexperienced killer and like fumbling around and stuff. Here we get to see Ghostface prancing about like it's a Scooby Doo villain, like you know, tiptoeing through behind the bushes and like you get to see him like poking his head out, like you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't happen that it doesn't happen super often, but you do from time to time see him like stumbling around in the back, you know, just like sprinting, or like, you know, from or door just to or door. just like you know, popping his head, like you know, like. Oh, you know, like they walk away and you just see like him pop his head out, whoop, you know. I think, so that was sort of started in Scream. You see that a couple of times, but it made sense because you know that the killer isn't really, especially if it was Stu. Doing a lot of Yeah, it, it, it makes a, sense. Um, In this one, yeah, I don't know. You know, it. it's still, they're inexperienced killers, I guess, but um, I don't know that it makes sense in this one, but I think in Scream 3, it gets even worse. If I remember correctly, I don't think. In, if I remember correctly, I don't think in Screaming Three they really do the, like the whole no? like him being like like popping around, yeah, in the background. It's just like at that point when you see the killer sort of like slinking like that. It it it. I, there's a reason why, like in Halloween, Michael Myers does not run around because it does look somewhat goofy that they're like, oh shit, you know, I gotta. <laughs> just, Got a book, but you see, like Michael booking it down the yeah. block. Like. Yeah, because in this case, like it, Ghostface's um, his ability to kill people is based on 
him being able to hide in places, like so that he does, he's not seen because otherwise like, see, like, somebody like, could just knock him out. Well, as I say, like so, like with Sarah Michelle Geller, like and yeah. like her friend shows up and they start walking away. You see Ghostface like run in the back, you know. That like we don't need to fucking see that. That's like that's where I think. See, that's the thing that like that's something about this film that makes me think of like scary movie and like all the parodies and stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things I think people attribute to Scream, like, with, like, how Ghostface acts and some of the, like, kind of the quirkiness and humor to it, I think they're thinking of Scream 2. Could be. Because after watching this, and I haven't seen, this was the one I haven't seen in a long time. Because, mm. like I said, it's the one I've least first in. Um, but, at, you know, after watching it again, a lot of, like, the things, like, that, like, get parodied from Scream... Or mainly from Scream, seem to come from like Scream Two, like the whole, like oh, the killer's talking to them, and he's like, "Where are you?" And he's like, "You never find me. I know where you are, you know, though." And like looking around and stuff, like yeah. that's a scary movie. Yep. And like, Shriek, I know what you did last Friday the Thirteenth. There's a bunch of like like bits in this movie that are more. I think people would probably associate with the original screen, but are actually from this film. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, this one does have it's it's cheesy moments, like the sure. whole him throwing Sarah Michelle Geller off the fucking roof, yeah. and then kind of like going like and run away, you know, run, said, run in away. Our, in that's... our meme world, that would be him yeeting her right <laughs> off the, the roof because that is he just sort of like grunts, and he's like <laughs> throws her like throws her literally throws building. her like a sack of shit, and just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny now. You can tell, too, when she falls, it's a fucking doll. Yeah. And it's, like, falling forever off yeah. a two-story building. And then That's like, true, too, because, then like, finally... the thing about the films here is, like, we're set in, like, college mansions. Like, we, she's, like, four stories up in the air based on where how she falls, and yet the, like the two... house is not four stories. It's two stories, and, you know, it still is a pretty big, like, 3,600-square-foot mansion, but still... You know that that is a funny scene of just like him, her him chucking her right off the wind or the out the window and then off the roof. It's, it's funny all around, <laughs> especially because that's like really outside of his mo. Like that's I don't know that we've ever seen Ghostface do anything like that before or since. It's like when he does get the chance, he should have just stabbed her because that that would be well. Like, he did stab her, yeah, and, but but you know he wanted to not the kill for her. Though. He wanted to he wanted to throw her so hard she wakes up and becomes Buffy. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, we did not. Let's see, we didn't talk about um, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant showing up here, uh, an early role for him. Um, also one that apparently his voice didn't come in for yet because like he has a much gruffer voice. As he gets old, it gets older. Uh, that I just noticed in here because his sort of his voice is a little bit on the uh, lighter, lighter side. I think yeah. it's because he's trying to be Stu too. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He's you know, yeah. You do he, have that like already when you see him. He's got like that goofy slicked back hair. He's like, like a hybrid of Billy <laughs> and Stu. And and not only that, but he's also way into like movies again, mm. just like we got with Stu. It's sort of already like a calling card and i say that because i've already seen the film a bunch of times but still 
There is well, a lot of well, say like, well, when you think about it, when they're trying like, and now that was something we commented with the original scream. It's kind of like one of its flaws is it doesn't really have a really good red herring because like the entire time like, yeah, it's Randy, it's Randy, yeah. and it's like, no, it's not Randy, it's not yeah. you know. And and this one doesn't either because the only red herring really is Jerry O'Connell's character who we're made to think might be or Cotton or yeah or Cotton. Those in, in all of the they both seem way too obvious, as uh, Randy points out. Is it would be super obvious to have the boyfriend be the killer again, and it just doesn't really make sense for Cotton to do it because he's already been under suspicion for so long. Like, it just doesn't. I know what a great up. master plan that'd be. I was in jail for a year because you know they thought I raped and murdered a woman. So to get my revenge, I'm going to reenact the Woodsboro murder. You know, yeah, and yeah, it just doesn't really add up. So you're really not left with anybody else. And I mean, the same thing too, when they're like, "Oh, it could be any of us." Could be you, Randy. Could be you, Dewey. Could be Gail. Yeah, out of all of them, like, Gail would be the one that'd be like, yeah, because she is, like, the bloodthirsty, like, I gotta have my story person. So, like, if there's no story, she'll try to create her own story. I will say that... But at the same time, could you really believe Courtney Cox, you know, being able to jam a knife through a stall door in someone's skull? No, so... I I do think that they did a pretty good job in Lori Metcalf, though. As hiding her identity. They hint at it quite a few times. They, you know, they hint at the mother from Friday the 13th, Mrs. Voorhees. Mm. Um, they hint at, um, what was the other one? Uh, there's something else that they talk about that makes sense for her. Oh, um, the news inventing their stories, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Lori Metcalf does. Because she's always the first one on scene for the scoop. And she's interested, really interested in the whole Woodsboro murders and what's going yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, they hint at it, but it doesn't really ever... It's not at a point where you're like, yep, it's going to be uh, her, Mrs. Uh, Salt. Mrs. Salt. Debbie Salt. Debbie Salt. Um, I think that they did a pretty good job of that one. But with Timothy Oliphant, you sort of have that suspicion all along that it's it's him. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's definitely got some screws loose. Um, I think it, part of it is Timothy Oliphant's fault because in some ways at the beginning of the film, he plays it up a little bit too hamily, like... Mm-hmm. With how he reacts to certain things, and when he gets close to um, super, Sydney, super rubber face, like, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, sort of goofy, and you've already getting that stew impression throughout much of how he acts. He just had the need to add, like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I need be spot on. Yeah, actually, he does that though at the end of the film. Remember, he's he, yeah, when he's doing like his rant. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm saying like just like throughout the stew, like throughout the entire film, not just yeah. like at the end. He's like, yeah, yeah, this is like, like you're great, Billy. Go tell him, Billy. Yeah, yeah. This is not Timothy Oliphant's best <laughs> film, for sure. I mean, I do, I do love the man. I love him in Justified. Love him in Santa Clarita Diet. This one, not his best, not his best work. But again, part of that is just like with. Stu, part of that is the writing of that character itself. To be goofy. Yeah. yeah. And it just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work. And also, the other telling thing of um, his character is that when he disappears, like... He does. Halfway through I, You know what? I, I, I don't remember him being, like, gone for two-thirds of the film. Yeah. But then, like, when we got near the closing act, and when he shows up, and he's the murderer, and it's like... I fucking f- totally forgot. He hasn't been around since, like, they were at the hospital. Yeah. yeah after yeah. Um, Randy gets killed. Not Randy. Um, Cece gets killed. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, that's it. He's yeah. gone. And, you, because, and part of it, too, is because there are some 
a couple lengthy chase sequences in this film that sort of last throughout throughout like most of the third act of the film. Like the whole cop chase sequence of Ghostface driving down the road with the cop on the hood of the car, and then they try to climb out of the cop car. Uh, Isn't he just through the, the biggest dumbass in the world too? For you know, not letting go or firing a shot. He's just like, I'm gonna, I'm, war- I'm warning <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles it yeah. down the road. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, Timothy Offant, not his best role in this one, but uh, I think he, you know, he's he's got to work with what he's been given. So um, I will say both do, uh, David Arquette and Courtney Cox, this is where they become really become their characters. Yeah, they're you starting know. to get into the role. Courtney Cox has gotten rid of her terrible haircut from the first movie. She's really growing it out a little bit here and put some red streaks in. You know, she's going to be devilish in this one. You know, it's the 90s. You, yeah. you, know, that makes, you, know. you know what? When she gets shot at the end from that stray bullet that uh, she said bounced off her ribs. Yeah. She, when she gets shot, you know, she's going to survive. You know why? Because she's got red streaks in her hair. How could she die? She's way too fiery for that. Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, the way that, you know, Poor David Arquette gets stabbed in the soundproof room, so you can't hear his. You can't hear his like guttural, not again type bloody <laughs> shouts, and he's getting slammed into the window. At the end, like at, when they're talking to Gail, you just hear I, Gail, <laughs> oh, it's Dewey survived. He literally gets the same ending from the you know Scream One, where they're like wheeling him out, like Abigail, you know. Again, he did nothing in this movie. Except he be found a, a VHS. Except be bumbling, develop a, you know, a limp. Yep. He found a VHS tape and a VCR, and that's pretty much all he did in this movie. And for being a, you know, tw- like 28-year-old man or whatever, he wearing <laughs> the, like, old, like, he, you know what his outfit reminds me of? He looks like the old man from Saving Private Ryan in the, you know, in the graveyard before the, he tells his tale about what happened. <laughs> he's wearing those nice, like, old man pleated slacks. He's and wearing his, knickers. You know, tucked in polo shirt and his bomber jacket. He looks like an old grizzly World War II veteran. He's got his limp from the stab. Which I do like mustache. that they, I do like that they, um, actually kind of explain, like, cause he's, Limping throughout the entire film, and his and one arm's, his... arms kind of dead. Yeah, and you know Jamie Kennedy gives him shit about it. Like, why the fuck are you doing that? And he's like, getting stabbed, cut a nerve. You know, sever a nerve. That's why. So I like that they actually, because as I told you, I can see him like, you know, I really want to be taken as a serious actor. You know, I'm gonna come in and be like, kind of like, I'm gonna go with my left foot route. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with, the, with, with, a... with this, and like halfway through the film, Wes is like, hold on, hold on, Dave, what are you doing? Why are you limping around like that? Well, I think it would add something to the character. Well, it's not written in the story. Yeah, but I really think it would add a new layer to my character. All right, we'll have we'll have a rewrite and have Kevin fucking... I could, I could see them, like, <laughs> just seeing that after, like, they've shot already a few scenes... Like, oh shit! What the fuck's Dewey doing? He's like, have you been doing that the whole time? <laughs> like, yeah, I have. And I'm like, fuck, we can't really. I mean, we can't go can't. back and shoot those again. We're just gonna have to go with it. But yeah, it is a good touch. I think it it adds a little layer because a lot of times you see people come back and they're just fine. And I like, forgot about that part too. What that, that he had a limp in. Oh this yeah, movie. right, right. Because in Scream Three and Scream Four, 
He doesn't. I think. I can't remember. I we'll have to as we get into those movies, we'll have to watch a little bit closer and see if he still has that, or if they explain it. He away definitely. As being, I got stabbed again. It, well, no. Well, as I was saying, they do at the end of the film when he gets stabbed. They said he's lucky. He got stabbed through some old scar tissue. Yeah. So they're probably like, well, that knife they, just they magically went, reconnected. They some went nerves. the Christmas vacation route, and they're like, got kicked by a mule. <laughs> it's back to normal again. I don't know. <laughs> in this case, you got stabbed twice in the same area. It's back to normal. Who knows? Because I know for a fact in Scream 4, he doesn't have a limp or anything. And back in Scream 4, David Arquette like is like an uncanny valley with like how like he didn't look like he aged a day, really. Yeah. He looks better in that one. He doesn't have his, like... He, he looks more fit to be a police officer than in, he does in, like, Scream 1 and Scream 2. Because in that one, they call... At least in Scream 2, we hear that Gail, when she wrote in her book, she called him a Barney Fife character. Yeah. Uh, because of like how he looks as a police officer, and then Scream Four, he started to become. Well, he like, doesn't like, like. Well, in like Scream One, though, he does have like like the like oversized police hat. Actually, like, you though, know, you know what though? My favorite though it still has to be in Scream Two, where Sydney sees him underneath some trees in campus, and he's just wandering around like he has got science. dementia. <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> she just runs over. Do we do it? Do we like here? I'm here. Where am I? You know, what he looks like he looks like Steve Rogers and. Uh, the end Endgame. Of, at the end of Endgame. Yeah. You know. And how he's like got his like khakis on, he's sitting on a bench, like pondering time. Bom- like I said, bomber jacket. Yeah. On, you know. That's what he looks like. Um, yeah. That's... I do love too when like he's having his like little, sor- uh, you know, his angry tiff at Gail when she's like, come on, do we please help me? He's like, it's the white. <laughs> Yeah, that's you know, sort of like the one like out of place moment for that. Which, which, no, oh, but it's funny because they like because from Scream One when she's like putting the sweets on, I mean, he's like, oh well, a- actually, I'm 28, you know, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you don't look a day older than 21. He's like, well, thanks, ma'am. You know, it's pretty pretty nice you to say that. You know, I do but, love yeah. this, that theme for Dewey. <laughs> it's great. We played it at the beginning of it. it sounds like. A romantic, like, cowboy movie. Sounds like <laughs> so- somebody took one of those cowboy romances that, you know, middle-aged women read, mm-hmm. and they put a theme to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the weirdest mix of, like, cowboy guitar, Mark Mothersbaugh, like, zither Rugrats music, and just, it's... Yeah, Hans Zimmer was really going for something there. I don't know what, but he was going for something. It's very out of place. Like I said, if you think about contemporary and horror and, movies. Oh, and I forgot. The, the choir. The, oh, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Very, very uh, subtle choir. Yeah, it's very out of place. Because if you think about contemporary horror movies now, like everything is doom and gloom. Like you, if, Drone. Yeah, if like, you've got a horror movie, like rarely are you going to get like this nice little like romantic interlude. Nice little love squall. Even Even if there is like a love story within it. Still, you're not going to get, like, those nice, like, tender themes with the synth and stuff. In this one, though, it really goes where, like, half half of the film is sort of relegated to, like, those tender xylophone synth. They might as well have just had, like, REO Speedwagons, I Can't Fight This Feeling. Because this one kind of sounds like, too, like, you know, except like a little cowboy guitar. So they're like, oh, is that Dewey over there? do 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 he just looks around like I can't find this feeling anymore. Be great. Someone well, they it. already used uh, "I Think I Love You" in this one. 
I mean, not as well, a full theme. Well, because, you know, they have the, you know, they're doing the Top Gun. Yeah. And that was a little... Yeah, that is... <laughs> like I said, if I was Sydney, I would be like, get the fuck out of here. And I don't I... want to see you again. That was extremely embarrassing. <laughs> And no, I don't. Oh, no, that was great, too. Like, the um, her friend's like, he's such a good singer. And he's like, winded and died. <laughs> this guy who looks like he's, you know, Jerry O'Connell looks like he's, like, ripped to the gills and, like, been in the gym all day. Apparently hasn't done any cardio because he's yeah. up there piping away. <laughs> he's just like, I think I love you. See him grabbing, like, you know, aspirate. And like, ah, you know, like. Like, he was a fucking lineman in football after, like, a long run. They got him on the sideline, like, you know, get the oxygen mask, you know. Yeah. It would have been great, like, if, because he was wearing, like, a, you know, a light polo. Like, if halfway through, you just see him, like, breaking out and sweat. <laughs> just, just dripping at the just, end. Just. That is true. Um, I think we, we hit most of the character people that I, I mean, that's a lot of cast, though. That's a big cast. Like I said, it's the Marvel movies of the 90s. Got that they, nice in memoriam, as you said at the end when they're doing like the, yeah, uh, you have to have like it was like five minutes of in memoriam pictures of each individual character, um, which I said they should have had an R.I.P. like stamped on each one of them <laughs> when the, if they were dead. For like Jamie Kennedy, have a like, question mark? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, who else? Yeah, they could have had well. Yeah, Timothy Oliphant, they could have had question mark as well, because they, oh, they only blew him away like six times. That doesn't mean that he's dead, though. Could come back. They always do. Yes, yeah, you know, that's super, like, in your face, man. At that point, it's not even meta at that point, because it's so yeah tongue-in-cheek. The end? Question mark? They might as well. Yeah, they basically did. I mean, they, they basically mm. left it at that. Um, Or, you know, you could just get a stab, too. They should just do, like, instead of a sequel to Scream, they're like, we're going to make Stab. Make it even goofier. Uh, you know who we didn't talk about for characters? Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson <laughs> shows up here. It's definitely, so great. Definitely tongue-in-cheek, wow, obviously, it, but it's, like, playing to Luke Wilson's uh, best qualities. Oh, being Luke. Uh, yeah, being, being Luke, Luke Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Basically, they were just, like, gave Luke the script, and he was like, they were like, read this. And he was like, okay, like, do you want any, like, specific character? No, just read it. You know, it's what's great too is like Owen Wilson's like the oh wow wow you know and Luke Wilson's the oh wow yeah you know, yeah like, he's the more yeah, stoner esque yeah, like that, that you know that bring, brings me down you know <laughs> <laughs> he's great in this one I do love it which though. is funny that he's doing that role because at that time like he's not like a, he's not a super established actor right yeah like, I know because uh, who's like, get, the, like like what has he done before then he did Bottle Rocket. Him, no yeah, one did, and they get like Tori Spelling as Sydney, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, Luke Luke Wilson will be the other lead in this movie." That's kind of weird. Maybe it's supposed to be his big break. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. But I mean, yeah. And again, that's like another thing too, like kind of going down like to the uncanny valley of the wow, what was going on? You know, in like the casting, like when you think about it in hindsight, like Tori Spelling, it's like. All right, people, if you reach back in your memory, a little bell's going to ring. Like, for a couple, like, five years because of 90210. She was big. She was a big thing, you know? Yeah. And it's not like she was even that big on, like, 90210. Just like wireless phones. It was just because, like, her, you know, her dad, you know? Yeah. But it's just like, wow, that's, you know, whew. Maybe that's why in um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, where they do the Scream uh, 4 parody, and they have Shan Doherty in it. Sort of, yeah. 
Well, she's supposed Probably, to be a star, so is that yeah. like supposed to be like a oh, call to stab? And not only that, mall rats because you know she was mall rats. I would definitely like to see them like take a, do an actual stab and like do the things, but try to play it up a little bit. Well, I think that'd be fun. Well, like I said that's why I think um, having Scream be like kind of like every five year or a like once a decade film series. Yeah, return to it. You know. Because I think that's one of the fun things about Scream 4 is how they kind of, you know, it's been such a big enough break in between Scream 3 and Scream 4. There's been a diff- totally different direction that slasher films and horror films in general have gone, where in that you get the whole opening sequence, which we'll talk about when we, you know, do Scream 4, but and how it like kind of is like commenting on the Saw franchise and, you know, torture porn and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like something cool, you know... To kind of like revisit, like now it'd be like it's all these goddamn like exorcist bullshit, you know. So I have Ghostface be like an actual ghost this time, like, <laughs> you know, or like or like a possessed, yeah, or purge-esque, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be fun to have them do something like that. Let's take a short break, real quick, to do an, a plug for one of our friends and podcasters. Hey there, listeners. Are you tired of the same old boring podcasts that talk about the most up-to-date trending topics, celebrity news, our day-to-day life experiences, sports, politics, and the world around us? Or you just can't even find one at all? Well, look no further. Real AKA Truth is a biracial podcast with three guys who speak nothing but the real truth on today's society and culture in their unique, witty, hilarious, humorous way that you're sure to get a kick out of. With new episodes published every Saturday, you can join them each week, my friends, as you're sure to get a smile with Nick, Muff, and T.Y. Available on almost all podcast apps and formats. Just search Real AKA Truth or go to anchor.fm slash Real AKA Truth 2019. Wow, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> you can't say that about your own plug. <laughs> well, it's not. I didn't write it. You're pl- I know, but you're plugging your own plug. That's true. You're, like, you're saying like... Wow, I did a good job reading that plug. If anybody wants to pay me to read their plug, <laughs> I can do it for you. Just let me know. I'm going to start a uh, a book reading podcast where I just read stories. Unfortunately, you don't have as uh, dulcet of a tone of a voice as your father. I you, could. I you just, don't. You don't have that radio voice like he does. I could. I just don't. Like, on the podcast, like, as a discussion, it's hard to keep that up doing a discussion. If you're doing it in, like, 30-second segments, it's a little bit easier. I still think it's all about his timbre and inflections. Much more made for radio than yours. Let me just try it. Let me try it. Granted, this is coming from somebody like me that sounds like uh, dumb yokel number four. Let me try it with the Scream 2 uh, synopsis. Two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings. It's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. I can do that. I oh. said radio, not like whorehouse <laughs> video promo. <laughs> promo. In a world. I was saying, like, you almost sound like you're like like a like a strip club DJ. Now let's <laughs> give it up for Sapphire. I could do that too. Yeah, want to pay me to do that? That's fine. I could do that. Uh, one thing that strikes me now, as I'm looking at IMDb, as I'm reading that synopsis, this film's 22 years old. Well, yeah, not only that. Don't say that. Wow, Jesus Christ! No, that seems see, old. Yeah, where's your life? Where's our life? Good going? lord! Good lord! Um, but no, what stands out to me is that Scream Two is two hours long. 
It does feel winded in parts. This one, unlike the first scream, is does not, not is yeah, it does not have as cohesive and shortness of plot that scream had. And I'll say because well, there's a lot of faffing about. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Uh, not only Ghostface is doing the faffing. When, well, because like I said, they're too busy on doing like literally. They just need Scooby Dooby Doo and like half of them like going. Whoop, 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 probably the best you know, scene yeah. for that is when Ghostface slips by Dewey. In the uh, projection room, and all of a sudden appears behind Gale as if he was on the floor behind her. And he pops up from the floor. Well, I think it's because they're supposed to be both of them at the same time. I know, but well, at the is... same, t- but at the same time, kind of like with the first scream. Yeah, there's two killers, but at the same time, in this one, just like the first one, it seems like freaking Billy's mom. Mrs. Loomis has only, like, killed maybe, like, two people. I think maybe she did the ones in the movie theater and, like, uh, killing Randy. Yeah, but then you have to you have and to then say everything, that if, and then if everything else is in the Mickey. movie theater, she's got some mighty wind-up on her knife stabbings. Well, even if it was Mickey, that knife isn't really long enough uh, nah, to fucking go true, through the stall. True, that's just, like, out of the realism stall, in general. The, the stall, you know, stall side and, and through the I don't think tag. I could stab through a, a stall. The scary, scary movie was a lot more realistic with it being a glory hole and a penis going through his ear. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's, you know. No, but you're right. Some of these scenes do have that Scooby-Doo aspect of, like, all like, of a sudden, ghost faces there. Like, and all that I know, you said literally the, the biggest one is when he's stalking Sarah Michelle Gellar and you, they show him fucking traipsing through, like, you know, <laughs> sneaking through. And, like, they, they should... literally just said should have had him stop it, like, you know, after he goes by, like, poke his head back out, pull, like, and kind of, like, have the mask, wink, you know, like, I'm here, folks! The you other know? thing they should do is, like, when the victims are running away, they have that, like, <laughs> when they're running with, like, well, all, their All you need is, feet. you just need Freddy at the end, too, be like, now let's see who the killer is. Yeah. You know. Basically what happens. Old, old man Mickey... One thing that is really long about this film is the ending. The end reveal is extremely long. It's way too long. Now, if you think it's long here, wait till you scream through. No, I know. <laughs> but but in this movie, like, you have some really goofy scenarios where, like, uh, Sydney and Mickey are going back and forth between a column. And it's like, oh, you're going there? Nope. You're going over here? Oh, you're going over there. No. And it's like... All of those chase sequences add up to be like 20 minutes of the end of the film. It's way too long. A lot of films in the 90s tried to do this because they were like, we got to have the ending be a bombastic conclusion. You can't just have it be, you know, one lead up where they have a one encounter and that's it and they're dead. You have to have like 20 minutes of exercise going on of, you know... Listen, he runs away. She gets away. Oh, no, then the killer catches up to her. And then they have another chase. And then they get away. And that's the suspenseful part of it. But it's really not suspenseful. What it does is just elongate the film entirely. Way too long. Especially because the stakes at the end are nowhere near as impactful feeling. They don't resonate like they do in the first film when you find (laughs) out. Oh my God, Stu! Oh my God, it's Billy. They've been doing it together, and here's this grandiose right. plan, and what you know, and them fucking stabbing each other, and all this stupid shit. Here's just, and maybe it's maybe like I remember I saw Scream Two when it came out, on like when it first came to like movies. Is one I remember seeing in like Direct TV. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my parents ordering it and watching it with them. So 1998, I can't in 97, can't really remember as an eight year old in the moment. What, like, the whole, like, it's going to be all about the court, you know, trial. 
Here it comes off as really like ta- like especially now it comes off as really tacky. He's like, well, unlike Billy, I don't want to you know get uh, be free. I want to get caught. Make it all about the trial, you know. Yeah. Because OJ just was three years ago, three you know two years ago. So playing off of that, but even still, like today, like going off of the because Scream Four touches upon about you know celebrity the idea of celebrity. You know, this is kind of like the same. Scream Two is basically kind of the same thing, but. It's not the personal celebrity, it's the drama and thrill that comes from the trial that creates celebrity all around, you know. Yeah, and I, th- I do like, though, that um, Mrs. V- uh, Loomis at the end is like, that's never going to work. That would never bullshit, work. Yeah, yeah. You, because you do think as the, as the audience, you're like, what the fuck is Mickey's plan after that, though? There's still, even if the, he pleads insanity because he watched movies, like, what, what does he think is going to happen to him at that point? Just getting off scot-free? No, he's going to an insane asylum in 1997. But uh, not only that, too, it's like, you know, no one's ever, he says, no one's ever thought to blame, you know, the media, you know, for this. Mortal Kombat was like just four years ago, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah. And they were having the whole discussion about how video games impact people and they had to create a rating system because of it. And you they yeah. had to be able to remove the blood from yeah. Mortal Kombat in case you, you know, and other type, you know, other types of doom and Castlevania stuff. In the 80s you had the whole, you know, music in the whole parental Satanism. Life. Yeah, you know. Satanism was everywhere in the You know, movies, Frank yeah. Zappa's, uh, you know, albums are cre- creating, you know, suicidal maniacs. The media was so it's like, always been around actually. Yeah, so it's not, you know. Yeah. It wasn't really the original thing that Mickey thought, huh? Well, you had, like, in the 50s, like, you know, comics couldn't, you know, they had to follow a certain code because they couldn't be, like, doing anything that was, like, hippie, commie, propaganda crap. <laughs> so it's, like, it's not a new idea to, you know, blame it on the media. It's true. Um. So what do you th- what do you think of the kills in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Very middling. Honestly, none of them are really creative. The only one that is creative is the end opening. Yeah. But even still, it's so, like, kind of like that that whole first, like, stabbing through the fucking stall was just like, eh. It's creative and cool, but at the same time, it's like, all right. Now we, we, we know in this film we're, we're going into the a little bit of the goofy. I kind of like Randy's kill. Because we don't, does, get, we don't we don't get really get to see it. I like the build. I like up. the build up. To the build it. up. Yeah. The, the build up is easily the best part. Yeah. You know. I think it's great. It's it's pretty cool because Randy gets to showcase, you know, sort of his his bravery in that scenario. He's like because for the most part, Randy's sort of like a goofy ass guy, <laughs> and well, especially Jamie Kennedy. I was say, as they say, he'll never be the lead. Yeah. You know? he's exactly. Always, he's always going to be not a, the hero, a bit player. So. But it, it, it does work to his strengths because he he's just sitting there goading the killer. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think that one works. And I also do think that the the Scooby Doo lead ups of Gale and Dewey chasing down people who have cell phones. Hit, well, him is too, but they're both fucking idiots because they're just like people, like regular people walking around, like talking on their phone. Hey, what are you doing? Like talking to my girlfriend. You're like, oh, oh. Yeah, they, they, you know, it's like Dewey what, it's jumps like, on one like dude, what, talks to his mom, and uh, calls the citizens arrest. You no, know, it's, it's like it's like well, what the hell did you expect? The idea you think he's like a guy's just like slowly like sauntering to class, and he's on the phone as he's like walking to class with his books in his hand, like I'm gonna fucking kill you, Randy. You're not gonna survive. Some girl sitting yeah. under the, a tree with two other people. 
Yeah, just like talking on her cell phone about how she's going to kill Randy. Yeah. yeah. All right. But I think that that's the best lead up. And it's it's probably the funnest one that's in this movie because the rest of them are really <coughs> sort of like rehashed from the first. Rehashes, boring. Sarah Michelle Gellar's is unfortunate. It's just throwing her off of the, the, off house. the house. So it's really, like it just, most of those just don't work that well. Dewey's just getting, you know, stabbed in the yep. sound booth. Jerry O'Connell's character just gets shot. Yeah, that's just really. I think the, the, the only thing about that is that it's a nice surprise because you only really see the knife right at the first moment with um, Mickey. And then he just pulls out a gun and shoots him sideways. Through the chest, like he's in bad, like he's in bad boys, yeah. you know. But other than that, I think all the kills are somewhat disappointing in this one. It just doesn't the they're not as surprising or as creative as as something that could have been. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with Scream Two. It's a fun, it's an okay movie. It doesn't have the surprise. It doesn't have the the better qualities of Scream though. It's definitely a inferior film. Yeah, well, but like I said, I think it's a film though that a lot of the bits from it people reference and cop to the first film is sure because you know it's the same thing with like Nightmare, Halloween, you know, Friday the Thirteenth. A lot of things that people remember, like oh, that was in that one, like in the original Halloween. No, it wasn't. You know, like of how like how like go- like how gory the first Halloween is. There's Friday the Thirteenth. There's no people, people yeah. remember Jason. Yeah. He's not in it. Yeah, well, he's in it, but you know, yeah, towards the ends. But but like as a killer, he's not yeah. in it, and people are just Freddie being like the like wisecracking asshole. Yeah, yep. you know, I mean, he does. He's got some quips in you know the first film, but he's not you know like by Nightmare Four, like every line's like a fucking little pun or something. Yeah, I think that they probably do attribute, and I don't know why, but Scream 2 just seems to be one of those films that a lot of people reference, that they know of more, I think. They remember this one more than the others. Maybe it is maybe it is that opening introduction with the uh, movie theater stabbing. Who knows? But for some reason, people do seem to like remember this one quite well. Now, what do you think is more memorable? The opening to Scream or the opening to Scream 2? Because they're both pretty iconic. Yeah, they're both pretty iconic. I think that just the opening to Scream is a lot better because it does have that more serious interplay of suspense. Um, and it's more surprising because you have Drew Barrymore in that scenario. I mean, Jada Pinkett, sure. she's She wasn't that big at not, the time. Yeah, she's not like a huge... Start and I think at this point too in Scream Two, you're going into it, you're thinking already, yeah, there's going to be a kill in the opening because you've already. Well, you seen have that. to, yeah. yeah so. I mean, you've seen Scream, you know that there's probably going to be a kill. So I think that might kind of come too because the fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar like gets like up into a third of the film, so I was like, oh, because they probably thought it'd probably be her, you know, white blonde hair, pretty white blonde girl, you know, to get off. But they wait a little while, and then like, oh, then you know, yeah, I think that the first one's better. I think that the second one is more playful and a little bit more like it does cue you into like this is going to be more of a playful, goofier movie than the original. Um, but I, I definitely think that the first one is, is better overall Yeah, with the suspense and everything. Like this one doesn't really conjure suspense. No, not, not at all. Not, not. Because you're too <laughs> no, busy the, being the whole, angry at all the audience the, to be suspended. And, and, uh, the whole like when the, after the uh, car crashes. Which that's again like another really elongated scene yep. with the whole car driving around, and then like the whole 
like climbing over Ghostface to get out of the uh-huh, car yeah. and all that, and then oh, and they go back and oh, you know, that it's like wait, they're like not like it's like no, yeah. When you go I, back, like oh, he's not there, no shit, you know. Yeah, I think the suspense in this one it, it definitely is lessened from the original, for sure. And this is again another one that follows that whole conversation that they have at the beginning of the film with the sequels. Most of them are not as good. Going back to that, that whole, like, the one they're like, oh, name name a sequel that's better than the original. They're, like, wrong on every single one. Aliens. Aliens is better than Alien. No, it's not. It's just a, it's a good film. It's not great. Well, no one agrees on any of the choices that they, they give out. I know, but you got, like, the professor, like, you know, give, I did give, like the give, pro- giving the warm side of the door, like, an appro- approval nods. Like, about the this, Godfather like, 2. Like, which, again... That makes no sense when the guy's like, Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1. Debatable. I love both of them. And it's very, that's like something that's really naked. Like, it's hard. I can't really choose which is better. Because I see him as one film. Like, like a long six-hour film. Yeah. And then when what, they mention Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back, which I do think is better than A New Hope, and Randy Strikes Down, no, it's part of a trilogy. So what? The, so what's Godfather then? Yeah, you know it's a trilogy. It's an intended trilogy, he says for yeah. Star Wars that they knew that there were going to be three movies. Well, the Godfather, they knew there were going to be at least two. So, yeah, I agree. But you know, and then Terminator, you know, T two. Terminator two is not better than T Terminator. And you're getting I, into, and I know, and I, and I know, I'm on the minority. You're getting, well, you're getting into a difficult discussion too, because Terminator Two is a completely different entity than Terminator. Well, it's, it's the same, well, not the same movie. Well, it's like, the same. Yeah. Well, it's again the same thing with Aliens and Alien. Yeah, they're that's not why, the same type of movie. The same reason why I like Alien more than I like Aliens is the same reason I like Terminator more than I like T Two. Yep, they're horror films. More horror. Yeah. You know. Yep. They're not just balls to the walls action films. I agree. And they're completely different entities, yeah. and it's hard to treat them as two. You know, a sequel per se. They're more like not only that too. I, I think it's also like a missed opportunity. Like it's, this is a bloated film. Yeah, this could have been like an opportunity, like them to kind of like a little bit of a nuanced discussion on why one's better than the other. Like to kind of like give like a film because they're trying to be like in, like meta and introspective. Yeah, that would have been the part like to kind of have like a, a little bit of nuance to it. But no, they're just like the entire time, just like oh, what's this? No, what's that? No, what's this? No, what's that? You know. Kind of like the same thing with um, Randy doing his whole, like, this was just like, you know, when he's naming the obscure slasher films. Yeah. Compared to in the original, the original film when he gives the whole breakdown of what makes up a horror slasher film and gives, like, sets out the rules. He does that to his sequels, but it's nowhere near as in-depth as, like, in the first film. Like, you know, that's the, a big part of it. Here it's kind of like crammed in, like, oh, it's just kind of a little different, but, you know, not, so, you know, totally different and... Yeah. Not as many rules. I do also really like the idea, too, that the entire time Ghostface is running around killing people that they're filming what's going on. Yeah. That's a really small portion of this movie. And again, that comes back because it wasn't probably that big of a deal at the time, but now, especially when we get to Scream 4, that's, again, a really big part of the plot. Mm -hmm. You know, because it gets tied to the internet. Here it's like, oh, they're just watching it. They're recreating their own, you know, they're making their own stamp film. Tape, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of like, compared to Scream 4, it's a little unbelievable. So Ghostface is running around with a giant, <laughs> giant, giant JVC, you know, camcorder that weighs 30 pounds, you know. It's like, you know, like, freaking, uh, 
Mickey's running off like a killer man. Like Laurie Metcalf's like sitting like, yeah, get him, get him. Did you, did you get the audio? No, this thing has no microphone, you know? It's got, like, a microphone that's, like, three inches big. It's not picking anything up, you know? Yeah. I just thought, you know, I do, I really like that idea, but it's kind of, like, a really small... Yeah, no, uh, the other... But at, this, at the same time, it's kind of, like, the same thing, like, we didn't really talk about it. Cotton being in Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. You know, cotton is sort of, like, hinted at in the first movie. Doesn't really have that much of a role in it. And it's he's of, not in it. Yeah, he's, he's only in it. Like he's not he's in got it like at all. A couple minutes. I think he he he's makes just, he just on, shows up on at, the news. Yeah, being like arrested. Like yeah. yeah, and and you know that's kind of a running theme throughout the Scream franchise. That really is sort of interesting that they picked up on it for Scream Two, and then into Scream Three because in Scream One it was just a, such a really small window of into like Sydney's life because really that first film focuses on Sydney's mom quite prevalently as you know things that happen to sydney's mom scream two not so much but cotton is there and is a bigger presence throughout um i think leave schreiber's does a really good job at playing like just a like a sort of like a asshole yeah an asshole but like a nice rich pompous asshole guy that's like the frat boy asshole being like your very stereotypical guy that gets convicted for date rape yeah, yeah. you know like Hey, Sydney, you know, putting his uh, you know, hand up you know, her. above her shoulder, like kind of like you know, trapping her and like starting yeah. off. I'm like, well, I'm doing this not just for me, you know, because I'm a nice guy, but I'm doing this for us, you yeah. know. And then when he's she's rejecting his like you know proposals, he gets angrier and angrier, you know, and I, holds resentment towards her. Literally, like you said, the rich pompous asshole that you can see, like. Like it, like it, like you'd see, like doing like a, like a date rape thing, yeah, like, like, getting... like, like you know, like kind of like pinning, like you know, like no, I'm, you know, I want to do this not just for me, but it's for it'd be such an experience. And when she like rejects him, it's like, what do you mean? What do you, you know, what the fuck are you talking? Diane Sawyer. Even at the end of the film, her being saved by Cotton is really just because she agrees to do Diane Sawyer. Sawyer like, she's, she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it because he had so many chances to shoot Laurie Metcalf. She keeps poking her head out. She, she looks like a fucking cra- crack fiend at the end of that, too, when she's like, kind of like, yeah. come on, God, come on, God. You want to yeah. do this, right? You want to do this? And the way she's grinning, too, as I said, she, she could have been Heath Ledger's Joker. The way she, like, <laughs> she, she looks like, the way she smiles just makes me think, yeah. you know how I got these scars? You know. But I like, um, I like at the end, though, that you have Cotton make a comeback as, like, a bigger part of Scream 2. I think it's an interesting idea. Comes up a little bit in Scream 3. Which is like sets off Scream Three yeah. as a film, but um, I thought it was, I did, do think it's interesting that they return to that. They didn't really forget about it for Scream Two, and they made it a bigger part of yeah. the film. Um, it's something that I I think was interesting because in Scream, if you don't watch the, if you were just to think of Scream as his own entity, it didn't have any. Sequels. You wouldn't think of Cotton at all, right? Yeah, that's you would like just say a throwaway. Sydney. You wouldn't say his name at all. You would say Sydney. You know, her mother was killed and raped. Yep. A year before the events, it, she got a guy convicted. Yeah. I think that's a, that in, in Scream, it's a throwaway that becomes a bigger part of the franchise as you get into two and then a little bit into three. So pretty interesting ideas that they did that they went with there. Um, other than that, though, I think Scream 2 pretty much is just an inferior sequel. And it doesn't. I think another big issue with Scream 2, though they talk about not making your sequel too um, similar, similar is that they have two killers in this one as well, which if you wanted it to be completely dissimilar, you'd be like, all right, well, there's one killer in this one. Well, it would, like I said, I would have liked the idea that if the whole idea was just 
there's two killers, but the other killer being, you know, Billy's mom isn't really the killer. She's just fi- the filmer she's, or whatever. Or, fi- you know, financing, you know, Mickey. Yeah. Which, at the same time, it's funny, too, because, like, I met him on a, a message board on the internet. Psycho message board. You know, it's... The original like, Craigslist. Just, just, just think of like you know, like old school '90s like message boards. Like she's in like an IRC chat, like having yeah. like talk and like I want to post something on here. Oh shit, I want to post this. Hold on, let me look up my HTML code handbook and see how I post this. You know, picture into this. <laughs> That's what I just think of. Yeah, people don't understand like how like how difficult it was back in the day to like post on message boards. Hey, you want to like add a picture? Oh, you gotta have like the proper HTML code to put that in there, and you know, space it out. And like I said, it's like Star sixty nine, hard times and long gone that people probably don't remember. I know. Even even in this film itself, there's a lot of references to the nineties. Like you can't be a hero in the nineties. Um, it's the nineties. Nineties. Yeah, the nineties. You don't be a hero in it. Stuff it's like that. A, it's the 90s. Pleated khakis and polos. Forever. It's never like going. Like I said, I had the same wireless phone that Sarah Michelle Gellar uses. <gasps> That's something we didn't talk about. License score for this film. Yeah. God. Lots of... Uh, Uber mid- late 90s with its... We got a hip-hop song. We got Master P doing... Sc- Let's make him say scream. Na, 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 na. You got Leston Jake doing a cover... So you got so you got your sky there. You got Weezer in here. You you know, hitting all them pop beats. Yeah. Only thing they're missing is Tommy. There was a Dave Matthews (laughs) and the the Offspring. Yeah, at the Martini. Everclear was in. Yeah. Everclear, perfect for the nineties. Yeah, Dave Matthews. You know that would that would have been a great end end song though. It's like everything is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yet a um. Bittersweet Symphony sort of uh, score in there as well. Yeah, like the original, you know, the way it was kind of like, it was like, dun, 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 dun. And John Williams did the score for the one theater performance, which is kind of weird. I mean, was that like an, a score that was already written and they were just like, yeah, use it? Cause it I don't know, because I can't see John Williams agreeing to do a score. Like he's It's like, just weird. Like, that. was like, it maybe it was already done and it was done for like a mo- another movie or something? And and it was, never got used. It? Yeah, but I don't maybe. know. It's weird, but it, like he was. That was it. Just he did that one score, um, which that also reminds me. We were talking about bloating in this movie. That whole theatrical moment where she's dancing around and thinks she sees Ghostface. I love that because it means that Ghostface learned all the moves to the choreography and. He was like, you know what? I gotta learn this. I gotta start like six weeks in advance. He's just like one, two. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like tippy toeing around, yeah. and they, you know, it'll be it'll be perfect in in the climactic scene. I'm when gonna I'm in casino, my one mask and the I'm other in, mask. Speaking of like not giving a shit, Sydney's fucking art uh, drama professor being like, because she wants to drop out of the play because of what's going on, and he's like, Sydney, you're an artist. You need your tragedy for art. Use that pain and put it into your... It's hilarious. You, by being an artist, get to actually, you know... She says something like, uh, I'm a survivor or something like that. Yeah. And he's like, I don't believe you. (laughs) She's like, I'm a survivor. He's like, I don't believe you. Feel it. It's great. I'm a survivor. Say it again. (laughs) Yeah. That also... That would have been great. That would have been great if at the end of the day, he's the killer. How dare you try to drop out of my play? I had no other... Yeah, because he he doesn't come around again. (laughs) No, no, he's just... That's it. He's just the British professor. In Sandusky. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know what that makes me think of? He's he's not actually like a like a Shakespeare a thespian, a Shakespearean actor from Britain. He's some fucking con man from like Wales, a nice huckster selling like yeah, like like in Huck Finn, like yeah, we know Shakespeare. Well, you know, know what? If Miss, Mrs. Loomis can infiltrate the Telegraph, being Deborah Salt or whatever her name is, then then this Welsh guy well, can come in and pretend to be a British thespian. Well, no, but she does because um, as um, because she's she notices at the end that it's Billy, you know, that Laurie Metcalf is you know Billy's mom because yeah. like, and everyone's like, who? And like that's not her, is she? And she's like, yeah, it is, but she's sixty pounds lighter now and has had some work done. Yeah, doesn't look like she's had any work done. And she looks like Laurie Metcalf. All she had to do is put on a pantsuit. She became a different woman. <sighs> Oh, Even if she put 60 pounds on, she'd still weigh like 120 pounds. You know, who needs to put 60 pounds on? Courtney Cox. She's way too thin. In She's this. got that friend's money. Come on. Go to Fuddruckers. Like I said, a... if she had a better, like a that's bigger why, figure, well, that's why she'd that... rip those pants out. Well, I was say, that's why the, let's say they're like Sarah Michelle. They're all wearing like high-waisted, like, at one point like in... st- stomach-choking pants. At one point know. in the lighting with Sarah Michelle Gellar, because she's wearing pink, like, salmon-colored pants, it actually looked like it was just her, like, without pants on. Because of the way the lighting was, yeah, it, was it was like, like the skin, t- skin. skin yeah. tone. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're all... I should have yeah. used that for fapping fodder back then. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, she, it looked like she, it was just her her skin. You know, we didn't talk about Nev Campbell. No, we didn't at all. No. <clears throat> you know, I'll, I would say she's good, but, like, she's definitely got, like, a minor takes a backseat. Yeah, they, uh, because there's so many characters, and like, she actually does need to take a backseat. And like I said, it's like, we. this is where we get that development of Dewey and Gale as characters, and they become... Like I said, like it's that them being the triumvirate, you know, yeah. throughout the series. But I would say, like this performance for her is kind of weaker because, like, the whole thing, like for her, like she, out of all of them, she's the one that's you know the protagonist who's got her tongue in her cheek the entire time. Like, you know, you get the ending, like, are they dead? Uh, they usually come back, you know. Like, yeah, you know, she's always just like kind of like deadpan, like even though she's supposed to be like traumatized, like I'm, I can't believe I'm experiencing this again. She's more like. Here we go again. Yeah. yeah, I think towards the end there, they're getting to that point where she, you know, instead of her being like the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt from I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, she's more of the uh, hardened, battle-weary person who... <laughs> Ashley Williams. Yeah, basically, know? who's just like, oh, fuck. More fucking ghost faces. Even yeah. at the beginning of the film, though, she starts out and she's already taking prank calls and she's like, got her caller ID ready and she's like, all right, Corey from 555-8679. Reading penal codes. Yeah. About, like, <laughs> yeah, about- she's already got that like stoicness and she's she's really not at this point like fearsome as much as just ready for another battle. Like Even so, like when they try to like, like open up old wounds and make you think like, oh, it's, you know... Her bo- it's her- Derek's Derek's the killer. Her boyfriend, not again, not again. And like when she's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> like she's like, you know, I mean, I her, I'm fine with her being on the fence. Like, no, I don't. You know, Billy was a psycho. I don't, I don't think Jerry O'Connell can't be his. Look at he, you know, look at him. Look, he's saying for me, you know, boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer. Yeah, I, that's funny. That you know, that part's like you know, funny. But uh, I think like I'm so I'm fine with her being on the fence, like not being able to. Kind of, you know, figure out like, is is he or not? But she's trust issues. But she's so deadpan about it, is where it's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think Nev Cable does a pretty good job. No, I'm not, like I said, yeah. I'm not saying she's bad, but like the writing for her. one, she takes a bad backseat, and two, she's she's given like the quippy lines to be yeah. like you know, yeah. you know, like oh, I'm going to be selling the taglines of this film. Yeah, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that should be our podcast slogan for now. This right. is gonna hurt. That's all I got for Scream 2. You got anything else to add? I think we touched on pretty much everything that I wanted to. Yeah, so. I think that's about it. All right. Uh, so. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, what? One more thing. Okay. Yeah. Play the, is it David Arquette or Jamie Kennedy game? Because they, is... they look the same in this, except one's got the mustache, the other's got the little chin goatee going on. Yeah, that's true. We said that you could just swap If you swap just swap them around, yeah. like, you know. Because David Arquette's mustache in this is poorly groomed. I would say, like, whoever did the... Well, it's poorly, uh, maybe it's supposed to be, you know, because he's got well, that, he had, like, he had the poorly, Well, he had the poorly groomed mustache in the first film. Too. Yeah, and yeah. it's just, like, it's just super uneven, like, how it's cut. I guess that's just, you know, may, maybe that's supposed to be it because, you know, he's not going to have, like, a perfect groom. Well, that, that would but, be, like, uh, me, like me, too. I'm clumsy and not, you know... So I wouldn't probably like, how's my mustache look? You know, I wouldn't be perfect. Not, not Tom Selleck, you know, like perfectly even to the lip, you know, mustache. But it's a little kind of fucked up. All right. I got a review scale for us. On a scale of uh, 1 to 10 50-pound camcorders, what would you give screen to? <laughs> I'll give it a 7. All right. I was thinking about 6.5. but I'll... I remember what I gave Scream. 8.5? Like that. I think so. I gave it a nine. Yeah, something like I that. I gave it a half or nine. I can't, can't remember. Can't remember. See, this is all completely arbitrary. You just make up a score on the spot. Yeah, we don't see, remember. Well, see, because Tim Heidecker stole from us. You right, know, the yeah. whole just throwing yeah, shit just out there. Completely. Uh, yeah. Give it 50, 50 pound cam, uh, seven, yeah. 50 pound camcorders and uh, throw in a, uh, a wireless phone, too. <laughs> so. <laughs> but no, I probably give it a. It, it, you know, my enjoyment for this film probably will fluctuate. I'll be like the first time to say this. It probably will fluctuate between six and a half and a seven, seven depending on my mood. Mm-hmm. If I'm more kind of like in a good, like, I want to watch this. You're in a lighthearted mood. I could get down with, like, the campiness. Yeah. But if I kind of like tonight where I'm tired, I just got out of work, I'm fucking sore as shit. You want a serious movie? Not that I want a serious movie, but, like, it's like, oh, this is campier than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's definitely a downgrade from the first, though it's more meta. It's also, that meta also is like very tongue in cheek and to the point at times where it's not even meta. It's, you know, self parody. Mm. Uh, um, I do think the cast is, there's not a bad character in this film. Everyone is well cast, does a great job. Even though I think Nev Campbell's not really given much to do, I still think she has a great job. Mm-hmm. still love her. I think Courtney Cox does a great job as Gail. I think David Arquette does a great job as Dewey in this. You know, their characters really do develop and grow in this film compared to the first film. And like I said, a lot of the things that we kind of attribute to the first Scream, I think, are really more from this film. Like, Dewey and Gail's, like, overall character arc. I think this is, like, the, this is the linchpin, the crux of the whole thing. Of what they become and what they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the moments too in this film kind of, I think, are good and, and like people get mixed up and attribute to the first scream. Um, kills like the first scream are though are aren't that enjoyable. Uh, I think 
I think the ending's a little bit contrived. I think the fact that there's like no like the first film, no good red herrings is isn't, you know, kind of hampers the film because you always have your mind set on like two people to be the killer. Uh Laurie Metcalf's like the one surprise. And it's a good twist and surprise, like the first film, but it doesn't work nowhere near as good because the stakes at that point aren't nearly as high because Sydney in the first film was like fearing for her life and here she's like I'm fucking doing this again you know mm-hmm. um overall again I think some of the campiness is gonna depending on how you like your films it's gonna could be a turn off um cause it's really Scooby Doo-esque the sound effects in this film are very Scooby Doo-esque they're totally over the top everything's very bombastic um, the soundtrack, especially com- like compared to the first film, is very bombastic and loud and tongue-in-cheek, whether it be the pop song or what got scored for the film. Um, I do think the film introduces a lot of interesting elements. I think the introduction of Stab is a great thing. And I think, it, like I said, it would be a really great thing for them to use throughout the franchise as like a film per decade, as like a critique on the horror franchise as a whole, so you get different modern iterations um, but overall, I do think it's good. I think the fact that the cast is so strong, even though the screenplay's weaker, it really carries the film forward and makes it enjoyable. Hmm. Nice. I'd probably give it a seven and a half. I think that it's, um, I have fun with it. Uh, could be partially nostalgia. I do think that, um, the film is weaker than Scream in, in a lot of ways. I think that the kills aren't really that memorable. Um, I think that it does have its its cheesy moments for sure. Um, but I think that for the most part, it's still a fun movie to watch, especially if you're into like ha- having like a more lighthearted film. Especially, no one's going to say that this is like a very heavy film. It's, it's, you know, it's got its moments where it gets dark, but at the, at the for the most part, it's like good conquers all type things. Um, you have fodder in there every now and then, but as long as Sydney's still alive, you know, it's, it's sort of a lighthearted affair. And I think that it's just, it's an all around fun watch. It's, it's basically like almost like stab in this yeah. film. It plays out to be, it's like a cheesier romp of a film based on the original concept. Uh, with that said, I think that there's a lot of like genericness here, um, especially having two killers yet again. I think that's part, part of that is, a, is an issue. Like it, it, hues too closely to the original film in a lot of ways uh it really sets up mickey as a, a killer i think and uh but the the other thing that it does really well is set, not set up laurie metcalf that you're not really ex- expecting her but then when you you do find out and you you think about the clues that you were given like talking about um uh mrs Voorhees from friday the 13th uh, that those are like aha moments you're like okay they they gave us that i think you know th- that was an interesting um idea for them to do um i i do wish that they had um given sarah michelle geller to do which is one of the only reasons why it's getting a seven and a half she gets a half a point there uh, for just being in the film for a couple minutes and uh other than that i, I think it's fun uh, i remember it very fondly i think the opening is cool but just not as good as the the first one and uh yeah overall it's a, it's a fun movie to watch definitely you know not the uh icon that scream was but um it does its thing. Two years later, it's definitely one of the better '90s slasher films. Even yeah, as a sequel. You know, yeah, for sure. Right? Compared to like Urban Legend, I know you did last summer, and yeah, we and we can speak eight, from experience because yeah, we reviewed and, and probably and still one of Kevin Williamson's better films. Yes, um, Scream and Scream Two, better films than you know. I know what you did last summer, and 
and uh, some of his other works in the 90s, Howling H2O. So, still still good work from him. Yeah. I'll say, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stick with a seven. 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 All right. So now I say I'm slotted. Now, one thing we were talking about, too, about like the whole like discussion when they're doing that whole crit film critique about, you know, sequels. Yeah. That would have also been the perfect opportunity to point out how, too, like, as we were talking about how why this film's not as good as the original is, the fact that it's a sequel already hampers it to begin with because with an original, you have your expectations are going to be a range of things. Mm-hmm. If it's a sequel to a film, you already have an established set of expectations of what is going to happen. True. So, and depending on how the film plays, if it plays it close to like being like the same as the original, if it tries to subvert your expectations, if it tries to find a middle road, you know, there's always going to be spaces where it's not going to meet your expectations. Unless it, sequels have to literally hit every beat that they do, whether it's subverting or, you know, staying very true or what have you, they have to hit everything like perfectly to, to be like just at the tier of that original. Mm-hmm. So the fact that a sequels already pl- knows what your expectations are and then are ch- trying to meet them again, yeah, you know, or one up it. That's, you know, so that's like, uh, and they do, they do kind of mention it just a tiny bit when, you know, Rand, you know, Jamie Kennedy says, like, you know, we already know what happened in the original. This, this is why sequels kind of have to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they, like I said, spoken in very general terms. Yeah. I think that's like, you know, a missed opportunity. And seeing as Wes Craven was before, as, before he was a filmmaker, he was like a literary person and like a, uh, critic too. That would have been like something like he could have you know interjected on. Yep. All right. Next time. Yep. Next time, Scream Three. Oh, I thought we were gonna do Piranha Two. Piranha Two. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with Scream Three. Uh, this is one that I don't remember that well. I don't, you know, it doesn't stand out to me as as if I know it's one of the lesser films in the franchise. But I don't remember it very well. Yeah. So it's probably awesome. the one I've seen the most. Hmm. We'll have some fun with this one and uh, get into it, and then we'll continue on to Scream Four. Yeah, to end our marathon. Uh, thanks for listening. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podbean at uh, Blood and Black Rum Podbean We're on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. On Facebook at Blood and Black Rum Podcast, uh, or Facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And we have uh, an email at Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. You can write to us there, let us know what you think of the show, uh, give us any suggestions for uh, upcoming movies that we might cover. Um, and then you can also donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Help keep the podcast going. And we appreciate anything that you can donate our way. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks with Scream 3. And until then, have fun. Take care.